This is recording number 10931 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 26, 2011. This is the 13th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Following Him. So get a Bible, get it open to the third book in the New Testament part of your Bible. That book is the book of Luke. Luke. And we're going to continue our study today of this book that we are describing as the doctor's gospel because it was written by a physician. And we are approaching it as we think that Luke may have with that mindset of kind of wanting to go deeper. And uh, we imagine, or at least I do anyway, every doctor I've ever seen with a stethoscope around his neck listening for the heartbeat of a person that that, uh, uh, most vital organ in the body. And uh, as we open the pages of the Gospel of Luke, we imagine that we are getting in on Luke listening for the heart of Jesus. We're turning to chapter 9, where we left off last time, two weeks ago, and uh, we're going to pick up the story. How many of you have ever um, had the feeling that life is sort of slipping through your fingers? Okay. We're going to talk today some about why that might be, Uh, but I also got to warn you... um, those who market Christianity skip this chapter <laughs> because it's tough. But it's so important. It's so, 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 so valuable to us. So we are not going to skip it. We're going to dive into it and hear the heartbeat of our Savior as he speaks to us. And we're going to begin reading at verse 18. Now let me say we left off at uh, uh, verse... Uh, 10 uh, of chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago. Um, excuse me, verse 6 we left off. And the, in between, there's a couple of things that happens. Herod, who was responsible for uh, uh, taking beheading John the Baptist, is hearing all about Jesus and the great things that he's doing. And uh, he is uh, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And he's wondering if John the Baptist has somehow come back to life. Uh, so he's probing his staff and other people to try to figure out who this Jesus is. And, and uh, so he's wondering, is it John the Baptist? Is Elijah, you know, the, old, uh, the uh, old prophet, is he back to life in some form? Or is, he, this, is, a, is this some sort of reon, reincarnation of one of the other Old Testament prophets? And uh, verse 9 leaves off with uh, Herod wanting to find out more. Then there is uh, uh, an account of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We've dealt with that um, within the last few months out of another one of the Gospels. So we're going to pass on that. But we pick up at verse 18. And it happened as he was alone. The he there is Jesus. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and and he asked them saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? 
So they answered and said, and you'll notice here that they kind of give the same answers that Herod was getting. They, the crowds, they, Jesus' disciples say, the crowds are saying that, you're Eli- that you are uh, John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah. And others say uh, that one of the old prophets has risen again. And then Jesus speaks and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now the, the common talk among the crowds was, well, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was someone who confronted sin. And there was something about Jesus' ministry that confronted sin. But it wasn't all that Jesus was or is. Others were saying that he was Elijah. Now, Elijah was a miracle-working prophet. And so certainly Jesus demonstrated the power of God in miraculous ways, healing the sick, um, raising the dead, uh, delivering people who were bound. And um, so Jesus surely uh, was a miracle worker, but that's not all he was or is. And then others were saying, well, he is uh, uh, one of the Old Testament, one of the other Old Testament prophets. You pick, it doesn't really matter. But somebody, an Old Testament prophet was somebody who spoke for God. And certainly Jesus did that. Every time he opened his mouth, he was speaking for God because he himself was God. And so all of those things were, were true of Jesus, but none of them, none of those capture all that he is until Jesus asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? And he stands up and says, you are the Christ, and now we've got it. The word Christ means Messiah, the, the anointed one, the expected one, the fulfillment of every anticipation, every desire of the Hebrews. The one who would bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so we've reached the point now when Jesus' disciples hear out of one of their own, out of the lips of one of their own, this most powerful statement of faith. You, Jesus, you are the Christ. Now we've reached the point where these um, men have a choice to make. This is not just John the Baptist. This is not just Elijah. This is not just one of the prophets. This is the guy. And what are we going to do about that? How is that going to alter and change our lives? Verse 21. And he, Jesus, strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. This is interesting. He says, I don't want you to tell anybody that I'm the Christ. And you would think that Jesus would want his disciples to just go here and there and tell everybody, hey, we found the Christ, the Messiah is among us. And they were doing that to a certain extent because he had already sent out the 12 to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God has come. But what Jesus was trying to pull the the reins in on was them uh, beginning this sort of triumphalism. Hey, the Christ is here, the one that's going to reestablish the the rule of God among us and all of this stuff because the role that he needs to play is not that one yet. That day will come. But right now the role the Messiah needs to play is the one of sacrificing, dying Savior. So he says, don't tell anybody about the Christ thing yet. Verse 22, the Son of Man, that's a reference to himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This is not what they wanted to hear. 
They've reached this apex of faith. This is the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus says, hold that thought. Because first, I'm going to die. I need to suffer. Verse 23, then he said to them all, and this is the part that the, those who market Christianity would like to take out of the Bible. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I think there's a lot of people that want to follow, follow the triumphant Christ. The Messiah, the one who is bringing heaven on earth. Jesus is all those things. I, I don't find a lot of people these days who want to follow the suffering Christ. But Jesus said that we all have. He, he was telling his disciples. He was making it absolutely clear. I have a cross. With, I have an appointment with a cross. But then he said, so do you. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross Daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Remember I asked you how many of you felt like that your life was slipping through your fingers? It may be because you're trying to save it. And the harder you hold on to, and I don't mean your, your physical life, and neither did Jesus necessarily. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, trying to make sure that you stay healthy and in good shape and all that kind of stuff. What I am talking about and what I believe Jesus was talking about is those of us who are so intent on holding on to what we imagine and consider life should be for us. The image of what we think life should be. When I hold on so tightly to that, the weirdest thing happens. It's squirting out through my fingers. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll save it. We heard some testimonies this morning from our Cambodia team about how they discovered some of that in the last two weeks. Not that long ago, it would not have been on their agenda to take two weeks vacation, spend a fortune, <laughs> travel across the planet, and baptize people in a fish pond. Or drag cement in bucks, buckets to forms uh, day in, day out for a week to build a fence, a security fence. And then come back here and tell us what a great experience that was. But when we lose our life for his sake, that's when we find it. So then... Uh, there's a, this experience. It begins verse 27 of Peter, James, and John. Uh, Jesus takes them away from the rest of the group, and they have this incredible experience where they see Jesus in his glorified, in something approaching his glorified state. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus was transfigured before them. Then there's a boy who has been uh, demonized um, that Jesus ministers to and sets free from that oppression and that bondage. And then we come to verse 43, because now everybody's seeing, they've experienced so many miraculous things that Jesus has done. 
the people that have been following Jesus around, and I don't mean just his 12 disciples, I mean the crowds, the throngs that are following him, and they see these amazing things. 5,000 being people are being fed with, uh, you know, a, a little boy's lunch. People with incurable diseases being healed instantly. People like this boy being set free from, from satanic bondage. People being raised from the day. They see all of this stuff. And verse 43 says, And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. <laughs> you know, when Jesus comes to you and say, says something like this, Listen really close. Hey, that's, that's important. Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. You know, they keep wanting to change the subject. And he keeps trying to tell them, look, you don't get it. It's not about all of this, all these miracles. It's not about, you know, the triumphal uh, images you have in your mind of me uh, storming Jerusalem and taking the city back from the Romans. It's not about any of that. Look, listen to me again. Really close now. Pay really close attention. I am going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. I want to ask you something. Is that because Jesus wasn't clear? I don't think so. I think he was being as clear as, any, clear as, as a bell. I think he was being overly clear. But these guys are going, oh, we don't understand. We don't get it. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. Was that because God was hiding it from them? No. It's because they had selective hearing. Just like you and I. We listen to what we want to listen to. I was the other night, I was doing some counseling with someone at a Starbucks, my favorite counseling place. <laughs> and, and there's all this music and there's all these people. You know, it's a bustling place. But we sat there and we were talking about some very... You know, deep stuff. And the reason we could do that is because we selectively listened. We tuned out everything we didn't want to hear and just listened to each other and to what the Lord was saying to us there. We know how to do this, don't we? Even with God. We turn on the filter, we listen to what we want to hear and not the rest. And that's what was happening here to the disciples. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Why do you think that was? I think it's because they were afraid of what it might mean for them. They didn't want to know this. They didn't want to hear this. They didn't like the part about denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus. They didn't like the definition of what it meant to be a follower that Jesus was laying out before them. So they didn't listen. Now I want to talk to you about three things that characterize disciples, followers of Christ, when they don't have any cross to carry. Because that's what these guys are doing. They are, they are um, refusing the cross. Verse 46 
Then a dispute, this happens right after this. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Can you, it's like, what? Jesus has just been telling, pouring out his heart to them, look, I am going to the cross. Yeah, but which one of us is going to be the, the, the best, the greatest? Which one of us is going to stand out as the, you know, prime? I don't, it doesn't, oh, it doesn't make any sense. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him. And he said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. And Jesus was saying, look, you guys, you, you don't get it. The cross will change your perspective. When you pick up your cross, when you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, it changes how you see the world. And you no longer see it from your own human pride. But they had rejected that, and so it's all about me. Who's the greatest? And Jesus said, look, see this little child? Be like this. Be like this. Simple, childlike, because the one who's least among you will be the greatest. Verse 49. Now John answered and said, Master, again, this happens right after this. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus said to him, Don't forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. It's like when you don't have a cross, when you're not carrying your cross, there is an exclusivity that overtakes the people of God. And what I mean by that is it's, you know, it's our group. It's our little holy huddle. We have the real deal. You know, our church, our Bible study. Whatever, our denomination, we're the ones. We've got it. And if you're not a part of us, then you're, you don't have it. Jesus, he said, look guys, if they're not against us, they're for us. It's pretty simple. Jesus had a pretty expansive view of the kingdom of God. We always want to... to Huddle up into our little, our little cozy circles. And in fact, you know, they, um, I was going to say sociologists, that's true, sociologists, but also biologists tell us that the most, about the most um, people you can have me- a, a meaningful relationship with. In other words, if you have a circle of friends or family, if you want to have meaningful relationships with that group of people, about as large as that group can get is 150 people. Maybe 200 at the max. Our brains can't handle more than that. And just uh, uh, sociologically, we can't embrace more, more information than that. If you're going to stay in touch with people and stay close to people, it can't get much bigger than that. And so you find that churches tend to be reach that ceiling, and then stall out. 
because it's our little holy huddle and we want to keep it that way. And people who don't have the cross, who don't understand this is about a dying world, a fallen world who needs the Savior, when they reach that limit, uh, they tend to be, you know, tend to check out on the, on the process. Um, verse 51. Now, this again, this, this is just a flow of events. This is the, another one, right? Comes right on the heels of the other two. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he has... From this point on, everything in the Gospel of Luke is going to be him moving towards this appointment with the cross that he has been telling his disciples about. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. The Samaritans did not receive him, Jesus, because his face was set for uh, the journey to Jerusalem. And we've talked about this before, but the Samaritans, they hated the Jews. The Jews returned the favor. And uh, so when, they, when the Samaritans heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, they didn't want uh, to have anything to do with him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, now I'll give them a little bit of a break here because these are the sons of thunder, right? So we kind of excuse them just a little bit. Uh, when they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So here we go. I mean, we've just had the, the disciples arguing about which of them is the greatest. And then, you know, if you're not with us, then you, you don't belong. And now it's, you know, they, those evil Samaritans. Should we call fire from heaven down on them? And they're just not getting it. When you don't have the cross, when you're not carrying the cross as Jesus called us to do, there's a kind of a self-righteousness that sets in on you. You know, it's, it's weird, but it's really, really typical. But he turned and rebuked them and said, verse 55, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. This is not us. This is not what we do. This is not how those who follow me behave. Verse 56, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, we're going to finish out this chapter and we're going to talk about um, some things that have to do with what it means to follow him. You know, I, if I polled you all this morning, I don't think anybody would say that you were not here because you want to be a follower of Christ. I take that for granted. Why else would you skip out on the lovely weather and everything else you could be doing this morning to hang out in this room with me? I believe you want to be here, or that you're here because you want to be a follower of Christ. These things tell us what that means in terms of, or in light of, in the shadow of, Christ calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Now it happened, verse 57, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And this, I'm sure, came from a great sincerity. I, I, don't, I don't think this was, um, you know, just somebody wanting to impress Jesus or to say the right thing. 
I think this is someone who's been hearing Jesus, observing him, and, you know, he's just caught up with this um, sincere desire to be a follower of Christ. He says, I will follow you everywhere you go. And 58, I don't see Jesus ridiculing him for that, but I, there is an edge to his voice, and he says, are you sure about that? Because foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what he was saying to this man is, if you want to be a follower of me, with a cross on your shoulder, then this world has nothing for you. Those of us who want to follow Christ, we're going to have to come to the place where we stop trying to save our lives and lose them for his sake. Let go of this world. Verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, uh, 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 let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Sounds pretty, sounds pretty cruel. I mean, here's this guy. All he wants to do is go home and visit or, or be at his dad's funeral. And Jesus says, no, no, no. But that's not really what's going on here. You're talking about a guy who's, who's uh, um, in a, an economic system where he has grown up uh, and being trained and tutored and prepared to take over the family business and he would slowly gain uh, the primary role in the family business while his father uh, began to take a less role and then eventually when he passed on uh, the, the responsibilities would be wholly his. And so he's saying, let me go and finish these obligations, Jesus. Let me go and uh, you know, provide for the household. Let me finish this process. And, and Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Stop putting it off. You know, some of us, um, <laughs> need I say it? We hear the call of Christ. We know he is calling us to live a life of devotion to him following him with every fiber of our being and we hit the snooze button. Um, You know, after I uh, pay off my house, after I get that next raise, after my kids are in college, after, 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 uh, Jesus said, that day will never come. If you keep putting it off, that day will never come. This is the one right now, right here. Verse 61, and another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but uh, let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now, that doesn't seem like an unreasonable request. I mean, just go and say goodbye, right? However, Jesus knew that uh, embedded in that um, request was a kind of a misconcept. Uh, this guy really was saying, there's some things behind I'm going to miss. So I need to go say farewell to the, my family and all that I, I'm going to miss because I'm sacrificing all of that and I'm going to follow you. So let me go and, you know, 
say my farewells, cry my tears and everything, and, and then I'll be good to go. And Jesus said, you know, as long as you consider your future with me something that you have to sort of sacrifice to do that what's behind you is of more value than what's ahead of you, this isn't going to work. Lot's wife, you know, uh, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, his nephew, Lot, his wife, I got caught up in this. It's a long story I won't tell you. Most of you probably already know it, but the city that Lot and his family lived in was extremely corrupt and uh, wicked, and God brought judgment or was bringing judgment on that city, but he was giving Lot and his family an opportunity to escape first. But, but the Lord said through, it, through um, the angels that, that delivered the message, he said, don't look back. Leave town, don't look back. Well, Lot's wife looked back, and you can only imagine this with longing, of what, for what could have been, what was. I mean, because look, the future is always uncertain. And so there's this kind of... The problem is, when we, when we look back, you can't help this. When there's, there's this kind of longing for what's behind you and not a full abandon towards the future and towards what God has for you, if there's any sense of kind of, hmm, I wish, or wasn't that you will find yourself paralyzed between the two. That's what happened to Lot's wife. She was forever suspended between what was and what could have been. So Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Like I said, the marketers of Christianity don't like this chapter very much because it's pretty tough. But I reckon that you, like me, are here today because you want to be a follower of Christ and because you are unsatisfied with the life that this world has been serving up to you. It rings hollow. Yeah, so you get a 72-inch television. So what? <laughs> you know, I Live Lucy looks lousy on those big TVs. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, one, the life this world is serving up is not enough for me. I want to shoulder... I want to deny myself. My pride, my exclusivity, my self-righteousness. And I want to take my cross and follow him. What is a cross? Well, a cross is that thing that will kill you and bring life to other people. Some of you today, I'll bet you, today... You, if you didn't utter that these words, you thought it. Oh, that's killing me. That's just killing me. He's just killing me. Yeah, it is. They are. It's not that God has arranged for that. You know, God, you know, God is not the one who um, 
nailed Jesus to the cross, but he allowed it. And aren't you glad? And that thing that you think is killing you today, likely God is not the author of it, but he's allowed it. He has. And it will kill you. That's the design. That's the purpose. But hallelujah. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. You seek to, if you lose your life for his sake, that's when you find it. 